this morning. As we come now to uh, the scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word and pray even now that you'd be with us. Um, You say that it is a lamp and a light to your word and we trust that it is. We pray that it's alive. You say that it's alive, that it goes deep within us. We pray that it does. Um, So please, I pray, be with us as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn please to John in chapter 10. John chapter 10, please. I think I'm going to read the whole chapter, beginning with verse 1. John chapter 10, please. Verse 1, truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking. I say to you, who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens Uh, The sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and to have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he's a demon, he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of the one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And at that time, uh, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you, you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. They picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man... Make yourself God. Then Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said I'm the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. And again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained, and many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. As you know, if you've been with us, taking up these I am statements in the Gospel of John. Today, if God will help me, I want to take up this expression. Uh, I am, Jesus says, I am the good uh, shepherd. This is the fourth of these, of these statements. Um, 
We began, of course, with Jesus saying that he was the bread of life. And he says that without him we die, just like manna fed them in the wilderness. He now feeds them um, spiritually and us. And you can see the audacity of the claim. He's saying, if you don't have me, you die. But with me, you live. And only with me do you live. And then he said he was the the light of the world. That is, you can't see without him. Unless you see all things in and through him, you'll, you'll miss everything. You'll miss God. You'll miss Jesus and all that he is and does. And you'll miss knowing even yourself. You won't see yourself rightly. And you'll miss confession of your sin. You'll miss repentance from it. You'll miss... Knowing Jesus, the Savior, and the one who is the Lord, and you'll miss really life. You'll live in darkness. That's what Jesus is saying about himself. And then you remember that he had healed a man who had been born blind, and there was a, a big question about that, uh, even wondering if this was the right guy that said he could see, was he really that man who had been born blind? And so the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, asked his parents, and they said, oh yeah, he's the guy, how this happened, we don't know, because they were afraid, because these Pharisees, uh, the shepherds-to-be at least, could kick them out of the temple, and thus out of everything they knew about life. If they sided with Jesus, and so they were afraid to, so they said, ask our son, and he's, he was rather... Um, perhaps comical, perhaps sarcastic. He says, I, I don't know who this man is, but I, I was blind and now I can see. I can't believe you don't know who he is because you're the religious leaders. Do you want to believe him in, in him too? And uh, so they cast him out of the temple. And so Jesus then tells a story about sheep and shepherds. Common, the illustration would be for them. They, they would understand what he's talking about. There's, there's a sheep fold, as we mentioned last week. It's pretty understandable just from reading the passage. Uh, there's a sheep fold, and it's a place where the shepherds would bring their sheep at night to keep them safe. And it would have stones built up on the walls on the side, perhaps briars on the top. There'd be a gatekeeper, and the gatekeeper would know all the shepherds, and he would allow those shepherds to put his sheep in the sheep fold, and the door would be closed to keep them safe from predators and from thieves, wolves and robbers who might come. And so uh, Jesus said of the sheep in the sheepfold, they know the shepherd's voice. If anybody gets in who isn't the shepherd, that must be a thief or a robber. Someone is going to kind of jump over the side. They couldn't go through the door because the gatekeeper would be watching and would know all the good shepherds who would be going in and out and getting his sheep. But, but if somebody came in from the outside uh, and, they, and it was a thief or a robber, they'd have to come over uh, the side. And so they'd kill the sheep, throw the sheep over and then jump over and be able to have this sheep for their own so Jesus said if there's any inside that didn't come through the door they're just thieves and and robbers and and his point was that these religious leaders were thieves and robbers they were destroying life rather than giving life they were the ones who were supposed to who were supposed to lead people into the knowledge of and into the presence of God as he revealed himself through the temple and the sacrifices and the priests in those days. But, but they didn't. And proof of it was that they had taken this sheep who was blind and rather than rejoicing in his healing, they cast him out and in that sense took away his life. But by believing, Jesus gave him life. Now Jesus gets even more explicit. He tells them, I'm the door. This was last week. He says, I'm the door. Um, for the sheep, I'm the, I'm the door uh, to the sheep as well. He was, he was, the, he was this, the shepherd. Uh, he was the door to the sheep. In other words, you couldn't get in unless he was your shepherd. And he was the door for them. That is, he was the way into this sheepfold, into the presence, into the kingdom of God, really. Because what keeps us out of the kingdom of God? Well, well. Being righteous in his sight. And Jesus said, well, for you, I am your righteousness. And so come through me. Come through this righteous gate. I'm the righteous gate. And I'll allow you into the very presence 
of God, the kingdom of God, I'm the door. Again, an, an outlandish statement. Who can make such a statement? Well, he says he can. And then he goes on today, and that's what we'll take up in verse 11. He says he is the good shepherd. Um, and when he says, I'm the good shepherd, he's really declaring in two different ways, complementary ways, that he really is God. He's really God with them. He, he's the one who's fulfilling what John introduced in, in his first chapter when he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, the one when he says, no one has ever seen God but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This Jesus, he's, he's the one to come, the God in the flesh, the one who's come to reveal God to us. Who's God? What's he really like? Who is the Father? And he says, well, the Father is your shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And he used that expression, I am. It's the same expression as we remember from Exodus chapter 3, when Moses receives the name of God and God says to him, tell the people, I am has sent you. Jesus picks that up and uses it for himself. But when he calls himself the good shepherd, he's also declaring himself to be God with them. Because they would know that the, the image or the metaphor, the it was used in the Old Covenant concerning God was that he was indeed their, their shepherd. It's, it's, it's all over the place. I mean, we um, see it in, in the Psalms particularly, but it's also in the prophets as well and also in the historical books. But Psalm uh, 95 speaks of, of, of God as, as, as shepherd. Verse 6 Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. We, 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 we read it this morning, or at least used it as our call to worship us from Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are the people and the sheep of his pasture. The implication is that God is the shepherd. And then, of course, in that um, familiar, but wonderfully, I trust, familiar to you, uh, shepherd's psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. And, and so they were to know God as, as the shepherd of the sheep, that, that God was their shepherd. He's the one who would keep them. He was the one who would lead them. He was the one who would protect them. He's the one who would guide them. That was the history, the story of their, of their whole life, that God was, was indeed their shepherd. And how would God shepherd them? Well, he would shepherd them through various leaders, various kings, various leaders amongst them. David would be the sort of prototypical shepherd. He was, he was literally a shepherd, as we know. And he shepherded sheep. But then God called him to be the shepherd of his, of his people. And, and he would be the, the one who would uh, model what the shepherd was to be like. And he, through David, through David's, David's leadership, they were brought into uh, righteous living. And the borders of Israel were enlarged and the people were blessed. And Psalm 78 verse 70 puts it like this concerning David. He, that is God, chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them, and he guided them with skillful hand. And you remember that God made a promise, and he said, if you're faithful and if your people are faithful, there'll be one on your throne to lead my people and to shepherd them. But we know that the shepherds of Israel were unfaithful generally. They did not lead the people of God. I read a passage from Ezekiel uh, chapter 34. Um, I didn't read the introduction to it, but the introduction to what I read, beginning in verse 11, starts in verse 1 of Ezekiel 34. Listen to this. The word of the Lord came to me, that is Ezekiel, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ha, huh, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? 
You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My my sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. You get the picture. The shepherds of Israel had been unfaithful and they had taken advantage of the people. They had um, enriched themselves uh, at the expense of the people. They did not protect the people as they should. And the people were... Scattered, verse 7, therefore, you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, behold, I'm against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hands and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. You see, Jesus' point was that these Pharisees, who should have been protecting the sheep, took this one sheep, by way of illustration, who was blind and needed help and care, caring for. And rather than do that, they illustrated what exactly Ezekiel was talking about and rather than bless him and keep him they kicked him out so he would have no life and Jesus said well that's the point now what did God promise if I could read again what I read before verse 11 for thus says the Lord God behold I myself will search my sheep and I'll seek them out as the shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among the sheep that have been scattered so I will seek out my sheep I'll rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered and then in verse 13, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. You can see how bless them. Um, then he goes on to say in verse 20, Therefore thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself. God isn't stuttering there. He's, he's being emphatic. He's saying, but I, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you've scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. Thou judge between sheep and sheep and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David shall be prince among them. I'm the Lord, I'm spoken. So you see, when Jesus shows up and he says, I'm the good shepherd, he's saying, God is here. God promised, God said that he would come and he would shepherd his people. God said he would come and rescue his people. God said he would come and feed his people. God said he would come and he would um, 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 nurture them, feed them. And when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, bells and whistles... We're going off and these Pharisees' heads. And God, Jesus is saying, I am God with you. And I am the good shepherd. Good in the sense of excellent. Good in the sense of perfect. Good in the sense of, of beautiful. The Lutherans have this right. There's a, a number of Lutheran churches called Beautiful Savior. <laughs> And if you drive around, I, I look at churches when I go places. And, uh, and, and, and so that's a, that's a very Lutheran name. Um, beautiful Savior. They're getting it right. What they're saying is that he's attractive, that he, he draws everything about him. Should cause us to come in his direction. He's the excellent one. He's the good, the good shepherd of the sheep. And, and, and Jesus, by that, is screaming and yelling that... That, 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 that I'm God. And, 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 and notice that he is the one, Jesus, who seeks his own. You remember that parable that he tells. We have it 
in Luke 15, verse 3. Let me begin with verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So you get the context of who he's talking to. A bunch of sinners, tax collectors and Pharisees, but only the tax collectors and the others know themselves to be sinners. The Pharisees don't think they are. And so what did God say he was going to do as the shepherd of his sheep? He's going to come and rescue them. Rescue them from danger. What danger? The danger of sin. So he tells them this parable, verse 3. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. See, when Jesus says he's a good shepherd, and when he tells stories like this, people go, I know what you're saying, but can it really be true? Because if it isn't true, then, then we need to kill you. We need to stone you for blasphemy. I mean, that's the very point of it. They understood. At the end of this thing, I don't know if you read, if you were able to hang with me through the whole, uh, the whole chapter that I read, you realize that about uh, three-fourths or so of the way through, they were ready to stone Jesus for blasphemy because they realized what he was saying when he said he was the good shepherd. He says, I'm, I'm the one that Ezekiel was talking about. I, I fulfill everything that David was prototypical of. And so I'm the one who's come now to, to shepherd the people and I'm going to rescue them. And he tells a story like this, you see. I, I was told recently by one of our own shepherds in our congregation uh, that the reason that the shepherd puts the sheep that's wandered on his shoulders is because if he puts him down, he'll run, wander away again. <laughs> and, so he put, and so he builds, if you will, this relationship with his sheep while they're coming back and he's on his shoulders and he keeps them. And he says, if you do that, the sheep will not wander off again. You see, you see the certainty of this, that he says, I'll get my sheep. I really, I really will. I've come to seek, Jesus said, and to save that which is lost. And, and so uh, Jesus says, a number of times, four different times in this passage about himself as the good shepherd, that what, what distinguishes him from every other kind of shepherd is that he lays down his life for the sheep. We see that in verse 11. We see it again in verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. We see it again in verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And then in verse 18, um, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. You, you see that when Jesus comes to lay down his life, it's, it's voluntary. It isn't. There's, there was a horrible expression um, in the early 2000s that arose from those who were trying to caused people to disbelieve in what Jesus had done. And they, they said that, that this act of, of, of Jesus dying was cosmic child abuse, that the father um, um, put upon the son, guilt that wasn't his, and, and killed him for it. Um, and he says, uh, it isn't that at all. You see, Jesus came voluntarily. This was, this was a, an agreement that he had with his father. His father would save these people who were his, his sheep. And Jesus agreed to come, you see, and to give himself for his sheep, to lay down his life, you see, for them. And not the hired hand. He compares himself to one who's a hired hand. He said the hired hand won't do that because the hired hand values his own life more than he values the sheep. But the good shepherd values the sheep more than he values even his whole life, his own life. And so he gives himself for his sheep. We know. We get what Jesus is doing here with this symbolic illustration. We realize that he's saying to his sheep, you're in danger. There's a a wolf out there. Wolves out there to come and steal and kill and destroy. And the good shepherd, by giving his life, defeats the enemies of our souls. 
And we know the enemy of our soul. The enemy of our soul is sin. <laughs> and so, so the good shepherd comes to deal with that. And how can he really deal with that? And he deals with it by laying down his life. And when he lays down his life voluntarily, he does so because he loves his father. He does so because he loves the sheep. And he's willing to give his life for his sheep. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we all believe, I trust. And he says, I'm going to give my life for the sheep. And so what does he do? Well, he takes the guilt of our sin upon himself and gives his life. And so that the wages of sin, which is death, accrue to Jesus rather than to us. And so he forgives and gives us then his righteousness. This sacrifice, you see, for us. It's, it's certainly selfless because we don't deserve it and, and he doesn't deserve it either. In other words, we don't deserve the love that we receive from him and he doesn't deserve the punishment that he takes because it's not his sin. But, but yet, selflessly, he gives himself. We, we said that this morning together uh, from Isaiah chapter 53 that all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God did it. The Father did it. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. If we're asking the question, who killed Jesus? Well, we can say Judas set him up. We can say that the Jews brought the case. We could say that the Romans did the act. But Isaiah says it pleased the Lord to crush him. His father did it for the sheep. It was selfless. It was sacrificial. I mean, we think of this wonderful passage in Romans in chapter 5. And we think of this work of Christ. Verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, selfless on his part. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. We can see that. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, that is, the enemies of God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's this. And what makes it even more amazing to us is what the author of Hebrews tells us. He says it was for the joy that was set before him. That he endured the shame of it. It was the joy that was set before him. What was this joy? Well, pleasing his father and saving the sheep. I mean, that's what his joy was. And, and, and real love, you see, has joy to it. Even sacrificial love has joy to it. If there isn't joy, it's duty. It's, it's, it, but, but there's always delight when there's, when there's real love. You know that. When you sacrifice greatly for one you love, there's a deep pleasure in it. Why? Because since you love them, what's important to you is that they're blessed, they're happy. And so when we love, there's joy. Now, again, and he didn't go to the cross giggling. That wasn't the point of it. But there's something deep within him. He said, no, no, no. Yes, this is right. This is good. I wouldn't be anywhere else. Because this is how I rescue the sheep. I lay down my life. I give myself for the sheep. Selfless, voluntary, sacrificial. Perhaps one of the most important little words in all of the Bible is the word for. F-O-R. Especially when it is attached to he died for. He gave himself for. It means on behalf of, for the benefit of. I mean, he, and, and how did he benefit us? Well, he gave his life for, to benefit us. The way that that happens is he gave his life instead, if you will, of us. 
And they should understand that. I mean, if anybody had been prepped to understand that idea, it was these Pharisees. If they'd been reading through the Old Covenant, they would know that, 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 that this was the whole point of this. Substitution. Another sacrificing for, on behalf of, for the benefit of, instead of us. What happened to enable them to be delivered out of Egypt? A lamb was taken in their place. What would happen each year on the Day of Atonement? An animal would be slain in their place. And they should get it. When Isaiah said the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, they would understand this sacrificial substitute for. On the Day of Atonement, the priest, high priest, would lean on this goat and would confess the sins of the people. In such a way that this goat would be in our place for us, you see. And and he would be for us in the sense that he's taking the guilt of our sin upon himself. And so one goat was killed as an atonement. And the other goat was sent out, the scapegoat, into the wilderness never to be seen again. And so they could picture what that would mean for us. And now he's saying, as the good shepherd, I lay my life down for my sheep on their behalf, for them, you see. And it was very specific what Jesus would do. He had a specific group of people in mind, as we've been seeing, as we've been reading some through the Gospel of John. He had this sheep in mind. Uh, And who are the sheep? The sheep are the ones who hear his voice. The sheep are the ones he knows and the ones who know him. These are the ones, as he puts it in uh, verse 29, my father who has given them to me. These are the ones the father has given him. He will pray very specifically about this in John chapter 17 in his high priestly prayer, verse 3. He says, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Um, Actually, verse 2 is the one I want. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. We saw this when we worked our way through John chapter 3, that Jesus is the bread of life. In verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, you see. Um, Verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. So Jesus, Jesus knew that he would come for his sheep and he would give himself for his sheep and he knew that his sheep would hear his voice because he knew that his sheep would know him and he knew that his sheep would not follow any other voice but would follow his voice and that the sheep would believe. So it wasn't a risk that he was taking. God was in Jesus, no risk. He knew what he was doing. He came for his, his sheep. And so if you're a believer in Jesus, this very fact should impress upon your soul a number of things. Number one, it should impress on your soul a deep humility because you realize that, as the scripture says in John 6, the Father drew you. It means that there was resistance on your part, but the Father drew you, which means he overcame your resistance. And so you realize that there was nothing you contributed to this. It was really his work in your life. And you're humbled. It means you you can't think yourself better than anyone else, not better than anyone else because you believe. And you look at this and you say, no, no, I can't. I'm not better than anyone else. I resist like everyone else. For reasons unknown to me, the Father drew me. For reasons unknown to me, I'm his sheep. For reasons unknown to me, I, I actually hear his voice. Oh, I don't hear it audibly. It's not like I, I hear that. But, but when I hear the gospel, when I hear the gospel, I hear it. And I, I see God as holy and righteous. I see God as holy and righteous and good. I see God as holy and righteous and good and loving. And I see Jesus as the one who has come and given his life 
by way of the Father's love for his sheep. And, and I see how, he's, how Jesus has done that. And, and I, I, I see myself in that. And I said, yeah, 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 of course. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm in darkness. I, I need this Savior. Nothing else can satisfy my soul. Nothing else can quench this spiritual thirst. Nothing else can fill this spiritual hunger. And, and I see that. And you wonder, why do I see that? And it's humbling to see that. Not only because it reveals who we are and that's humbling as a sinner who's rebelled against God. And so that's humbling in and of itself. But it's also humbling to see that God has overcome my resistance to him. The testimony of the um, great um, late 19th century preacher in England, Charles Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher, put it like this about his own conversion. He said, when he first came to me, that is, when the gospel first came to me, when the Lord first came to me, when he first came to me, did I not spurn him? When he knocked at the door and asked for entrance, did I not drive him away and show contempt for his grace? Ah, I can remember that I full often did so until, at last, by the power of his effectual grace, he said, I must, I will come in. And then he turned my heart and made me love him. Is that not your testimony? <laughs> Is that not how you came to faith? It should, it should humble us. It should make us grateful to think of Jesus laying down his life for us. And when he says he knows us and we know him, what he means is that when he laid down his life for us, he knew who we were. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that he was laying down his life for his sheep. He knew he was laying down his life. If, if you'd ask him. While he was laying down his life. Who's this for? He could have give you, given you the names. Of everyone. Who's the book of Revelation tells us. Whose name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Everyone. And, and if you stopped in a minute. And you said well tell me about Sally. Or tell me about Joe. Or tell me about Bill. He could describe those individuals. To a T. Because he would know them precisely and exactly. And you say, I'm grateful. It should move us to worship, you see. It should move us to worship him because he's done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He's done for us what no one else could do for us. And that's why we worship. That's why when we enter this place, we should be worshiping. It should be evident in some way by the gusto with which we sing, the sincerity with which we speak and share, and, and how the reverence with which we come, the joy we enter this place to worship, it should be evident to people that this is really true, you see, that, that we really are humbled and grateful. And, and here's another point, too. That if you're not a believer in Jesus, or you know those who aren't, you should be hopeful. You should be hopeful by this. You should be hopeful in the sense to realize that, yes, I know... My, I'm, I'm resistant to him, you might think. I don't believe in him. Or, if you're a believer, you might think, my kids don't, or my spouse doesn't, or my friends don't. And you look at yourself, or you look at them, and you say, but, but I simply don't believe, or they simply don't believe. Whatever could overcome their resistance. And you look at yourself, if you're sharing with them, and you go, well, I'm not very good at this. <laughs> I'm not all that persuasive. What, what, what could really change them in such a way that they would embrace this and believe? And, and the good shepherd says, I can. I can do that. I can really do that. So if, if you're an unbeliever, be hopeful. <laughs> be hopeful to look at the Lord and say, all right, have at me. Look at the Lord and say, please change. If you can do this, change my heart. If you have loved ones or people with whom you're sharing the faith, how do you go about that? Will you pray that the good shepherd would draw, the father would draw them, and the shepherd would speak their name and they would hear his voice, that, that he would overcome their resistance, right? Isn't that your hope? Isn't that your confidence? Not in yourself, not in your own ability, not in their ability to hear, but in the Lord's ability, you see, and his love. So pray for them and pray for yourself if you're an unbeliever. That God will help you to see it.
and to really believe. He is your only hope, you see. But he's a good hope. He's a good hope because he's a good shepherd. And why wouldn't you believe the one who so loves us to lay down his life for the sheep? Now finally this, to realize that as the good shepherd, you know him and he knows you just like he knows the father and the father knows him. It isn't just like it in the sense that it's the way that the father knows the son and the son knows the father. I mean, that's, that's perfect. We're finite. We're never going to know God in the same way that God knows himself, if you will. But there is this, this knowing, you see. And what he means is that we, we experience one another. We, we really know each other. It isn't simply that we know about each other. But we, we love each other. We're intimate, you see, in relationship with each other. And this is so important. You remember the scary words of Matthew chapter 7. I call them the scary words. When I read them, I write in the margin, that's scary. Because people come to Jesus and said, I've, I've done this in your name and that in your name and this in your name and that in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. So being known by him, being his sheep is of utmost importance. And he says, I know my sheep and I've given, laid down my life for them, you see. He knows us. Now the good news about him knowing us is that as he says, and the psalmist says in Psalm 139, he knows our frame. He knows how we're built. He knows our going out and our coming in. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows us so well. I remember years ago, um, Dad, I don't know, you probably remember this, that a number of years ago, I think in the 90s, we found ourselves back in Elwood City in our hometown and we went to Mrs. Franz's house. And Mrs. Franz had taught my dad in school and me in school too. That wasn't what he was, that he was slow and had to redo the fifth grade again when I came along. <laughs> this, you know, she was that old, you know, see. And so, but what was fascinating, I'd seen her since, I don't know when, since I was a kid. And uh, what was fascinating is when we knocked on Mrs. Franz's door, she knew us. Both of us. And she described each of us when we were fifth graders. It was fascinating. She knew us. And, and I thought, wow, she must have been a great teacher to know us, to know her students like that. I bet before there were any of the programs that educators have today that she had specialized programs for each one of her kids because she knew each of us like that. And whether she had it written down in a little lesson plan or whether it was just intuitive and instinctive to her, you know that each kid was probably going at some pace that was different than the other kids because she knew them so well. And that's the point of it, you see. The Lord knows us. And so we can relax. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And don't you know that the pastures he has me going to, and it might be different than the pastures he has you going to at the moment, or the still water that I go to might be different than the water you go to at the moment, because he knows us. He knows, he knows everything about us. That wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that no trial has overcome us except that is common to man. Right? Why not? Oh, because God is sovereign, our good shepherd, over all the trials, all the temptations that we go through. And so he promises that he won't take us through any trial, that he won't give us a way of escape to help us in the midst of it. He knows us that well. And so when we're going through stuff, we can look at him and we can say, okay, you know me, thus you must know that you'll help me through this situation. Because you wouldn't take me through this, me through this, <laughs> because you know me, if you think I'm going to fall away. No, 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 no. You'll help me, you see. 
in the midst of that. Because we know that he knows us, and because he knows from Matthew 6 that, that even the hairs of our heads are numbered, and our days are numbered, we know that we don't need to be anxious. Why? Because he knows us. He knows everything about us. And nothing happens without his knowledge, without his decree. So we can trust him and not be anxious in the midst of life. He knows us. And we know him. We know him as the one who's given himself for us. We know him as the one who's laid down his life for us. So why wouldn't we trust him, you see? We know him like that. And, and we know him that he is our merciful and faithful high priest, according to the authors of, author of Hebrews in chapter 4. That he's, the, he's the, the, the one who has been made just like us except without sin. And so we know that we can, we can trust him, we can pray to him. We know that we do, he understands us, he gets us, and we know that he will give us grace to help us in time of need. He, he knows us. The Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. He makes us lie down in green pastures, he leads us beside the still waters, he restores our souls, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though we should walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is through the most difficult time. You can fill in the blank. He leads me in the whatever. Shadow of death is like, okay, that's the worst thing. So fill in whatever it is that he's leading you through. Lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. Now fear no evil. Why? Because he's with us. His rod and his staff. His whatever good shepherd has a rod to plunk and kill every enemy that comes. And a staff that has a crook on it that can pull us out of every difficulty. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love that. It always makes me smile. Because I love, that's probably by nature of my somewhat twisted personality. But I love to smile at my enemies. They look at me and they say, you're so small and weak, we could kill you in a minute. And I go, but you don't know who's with me. Ha ha. You know? Uh, and he says, I'll prepare a table for you. You can rest, you can eat. I'll restore you in the presence of your enemy. Right? Fill your cup to the full. It will overflow. Goodness and mercy will hunt you down. You don't have to worry. Goodness and mercy know where you are all the time. And they'll hunt you down. Never fear. You are now and will in its fullness dwell in my house forever. You know, when they heard Jesus say he was a good shepherd, everybody scratched their heads and some people said, he's a demon who could say that kind of thing. We know what he's saying. Others were saying, he's a blasphemer, we need to kill him. And others said, but he made the blind man see. Well, the proof to us is that he laid down his life and he took it up again. He didn't leave us shepherdless. You see, one of the, 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 the things about real shepherds and real sheep is that a real shepherd might be willing to risk his life, but if he gives his life for his sheep, his sheep will die. Because shepherdless sheep die. The wonderful news for us is that our shepherd not only risked his life, but gave his life. But then he took it back up again. So we're not left. He is, he's with us. And you know that great expression. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant. He, he knows us so well that he will, well, I'll save that for the benediction. Let's pray. Father, um, what news to us today? What news that you've come. And while there might have been others to try to lead us astray, they couldn't because the good shepherd has come. And he's spoken our names. We've heard his voice. You've given us to him. And he's given himself for us. That we might live. We're humbled by that, God. 
to think of our lives as sinners and how we have gone against you, the God who made us. It humbles us to realize that without you drawing us, we could not come. Somehow we'd like to be able to say, I did it. I did something anyway. I made a good choice or I heard all the evidence and I decided to follow Jesus. And while that's probably all true for us that we did hear the gospel and we did decide to follow you. But we realize why we decided to follow you. So there's no boasting in us. You drew us. You knew us. We're your sheep. We're grateful. We worship you. Thank you for the hope that this gives us to know that the Good Shepherd has come, that he's laid down his life for the sheep. Thank you that we know for those who are unbelievers, for those whom we love who are unbelievers, perhaps some even here, there's hope, you see, because the Good Shepherd, his voice is powerful. And you, Father, can overcome the resistance of even the most resistant ones. So we pray that you would, that you would overcome resistance, and that many would come. Jesus said he has his sheep from not just the flock of Israel, but throughout all of the world. And so we pray that you would draw many to yourself, here and through us. We're grateful, Father. Thank you that you know us, Jesus. For those who are going through difficulty, I pray, Jesus, that you would give them the grace to know that you know them, not only about them and not only just their frame, but, but you know them so well, you know precisely what course of events their life should take, must take for them to grow in faith and grace. So please assure them today that you know them and love them. Enable us to deeply know you, to grasp what it means that you have laid down your life for us. What it means that if you are for us, who can be against us? So that we may live lives without being anxious, without worry. That we may live in peace. Knowing that even before the most difficult of circumstances, you are with us and you feed us. You prepare a table for us. So please, Father, I pray that we would know that you know us and that we would know you and enable us, I pray, to follow you in every situation and every circumstance. In Jesus' name.